joined us online, let me encourage you to let us know by um, putting a comment in the comment section, or you can text us, but let us know that you've joined us. Now let me encourage every one of you to hold up your Bibles right now, whether you've got a printed copy like I do, or whether you have a copy on your phone or your tablet, whatever, but hold up your Bible and repeat with me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error first matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now open up your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, and then hold your place there and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Revelation chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Have you ever had to appear before a judge? Have you ever had to do that? I, I remember doing that one time. It was in 1989. I was on my way to Spartanburg. I lived in Union at the time, and I was on my way to Spartanburg to to visit someone in the hospital. And on the way to the hospital, I got in a wreck. Now, fortunately, no one was hurt. I wasn't hurt. The other person wasn't hurt. But I got ticketed. They said it was my fault. Well, I left the place where the accident happened and went on to the hospital. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized it wasn't my fault. You see, they said that I ran a red light. But I didn't run a red light. The light was yellow was clearly yellow. I'm not colorblind. I know yellow from red. And, and I was going through the light when it was yellow. And that's when someone clipped the back of my car. But I got ticketed. And so because I got ticketed, I was going to have to pay for their car to get fixed. And my insurance was going to go up and all of that. And I didn't want that to happen. And so I decided that I was going to go back to where the accident occurred. There were several businesses there on that intersection. And, and I went back. And I asked if anybody saw the accident. And there were several people that, that saw the accident. And I asked, did, did any of you see the light when I was going through the light? And, and I had several people that said, yes, the light was yellow when you were going through it. So I got sworn statements from them. And I went to court to prove that I was innocent. But even though I was innocent, I knew that I was innocent. I was still scared thinking about appearing before that judge. And I think that's how most of us are. When we think about appearing before a judge that has the ability to determine whether we're innocent or guilty, is kind of frightening. And yet the Bible says that one day we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. One day, each and every one of us will be judged. Now last week, we looked at what happens at the end of the church age. And we discovered that what happens at the end of the church age is the rapture. Jesus comes for his church to take his church home to heaven. And then the tribulation, the wrath of God, begins on earth. But the question I want us to answer this morning is this. So what happens after the rapture? We know what happens on earth. The tribulation begins. The 
wrath of God begins, and we'll start talking about that in, in a couple of weeks. But, but what happens to us? What's happening in heaven when the tribulation is occurring on earth? And I believe it is at this time that you and I will face the judgment seat of Christ. And I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, I thought when I got saved, I would never have to be judged. That, that Jesus took my judgment upon himself. But understand, nowhere does the Bible ever say that you will not be judged. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that every believer faces three different judgments. I want you to understand, every believer faces three different judgments. First of all, we were judged as sinners. Now, for those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we've placed our faith and trust in Him. That took place when Jesus was on the cross. Jesus took our judgment for sin when He was on the cross. He took our condemnation upon Himself when He was on the cross. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, He personally carried our sins in His body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By His wounds, we are healed. You see, Jesus took our condemnation, our judgment on the cross. That's why it says in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. That's talking about the judgment for our sin. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been born again, your judgment for sin happened on the cross. You were judged as a sinner. Now, for those who have not accepted Jesus, that will take place at the great white throne judgment. And we read about that in Revelation chapter 20. So we are, were judged as sinners. Second, we are being judged as sons. And this takes place every time we sin against God. When we sin against God as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit that lives in us convicts us of our sin to draw us back to Christ. I want you to hear me. I want you to understand clearly. If you are saved, when you sin, the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. You cannot sin as a believer without the Holy Spirit convicting you. But there are times as believers that we can be convicted by the Holy Spirit, but we don't turn from our sin. So what happens then? Well, the Bible says God judges us. God disciplines us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32, it says this. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Understand, God judges us, God disciplines us as sons so that we won't be condemned with the world. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. and Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, 
because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. And don't miss that. The Bible says that if you are not disciplined as a child of God, when you sin and you do not turn from that sin, that is evidence that you are not a true child of God. God disciplines his children because he loves them. And so understand, if you are a child of God, a son of God or a daughter of God, and you sin, the first thing that happens is the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. God's Spirit testifies with your spirit, brings you under conviction. But if you don't turn from that sin, the Holy Spirit will discipline you. So understand, if you're living in sin today, and you are not being disciplined by God, then there is a good chance that you're not a child of God. You've never come to know Jesus. His Spirit isn't living in you. So we were judged as sinners. That happened when we accepted Jesus and our sins were nailed to the cross. We are being judged as sons. Every time we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us. And if we don't turn from that sin, he disciplines us as he disciplines his children. But then one day, the Bible says, we will be judged as servants. And Jesus talked about this judgment often in the parables. If you read through the parables, you will discover that many of them have an apocalyptic element to them. In other words, they're not talking about things that happen here and now. They're talking about things that will happen in the future. They're talking about the kingdom of God. And one such parable is the parable of the talents. In that parable, Jesus said this. He said, the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small matter. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Now that parable begins with Jesus telling about a man that goes on this long trip. Now the man that goes on the long trip is Jesus. And the long trip is Jesus going to heaven. But before he goes to heaven, he says the man gives to each of his servants talents. Doesn't give them the same amount of talents. He gives them different amount of talents. And he tells them to use them until he come, go, comes back. And then he goes away. He goes into heaven. Now those servants are those of us who are followers of Jesus. And God has given each of us gifts. He's given us abilities. And he's given us opportunities. And he gives us those things for us to use for his glory. And one day the Bible says in that parable that the master is going to come back and the servants are going to give an account to the master. Now when the master comes back, that's the rapture. That's when he comes back. And the giving of an account is at the judgment seat of Christ. This judgment happens immediately after the rapture. Now let's look at Revelation chapter 4. Listen to what it says. I'm going to read the entire chapter. 
It says, then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven and the same voice I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly, I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him and twenty-four elders sat on them. Now let me remind you that the twenty-four elders are representative of the redeemed of all ages, the church, the body of Christ. The Bible says that one day the redeemed will rule and reign with Jesus. One day we will sit on thrones with Jesus. But then it says they were all clothed in white and they had gold crowns on their heads. Now notice they were clothed in white. The white representing the purity that comes from the righteousness of God that has been placed into our account. But then notice they had crowns on their heads. Now hold on to that. Why do they have crowns on their heads? Where did these crowns come from? Where did they get them from? Now let's continue. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. We read about that in John chapter 1. In front of the throne was a shining, or Revelation chapter 1. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. The fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. And some of you are going, what in the world is that? Well, that's a created being. Our God is a creative God. And God has made all kind of beings that bring glory and honor to his name. And these beings are around the throne. And notice what it says, day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you please. On verse 10 is important. They lay their crowns before the throne. Now don't forget that. Hold on to that. That's important. Now I believe what we read here is a picture of the judgment seat of Christ. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things that were done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now the verse right before this verse ends this way. We make it our aim. We make it our goal. We make it our ambition to please God. Now let me ask you a question. What is your goal? What is your aim? What is your ambition in life? I'm afraid that many of us today are aiming for the wrong things and it shows. 
It shows by, by the way we spend our time, our talents, and our, our treasures. It shows by the way we, we run after certain things with our hearts. If we amass a great fortune, we become famous, we have fun our entire life, and yet we do not live our life in a way that is pleasing to God. We've missed it all. To be honest, in the end, nothing really matters rather than living your life in a way that is pleasing to God. And Paul says the reason that we live our lives to please God is because we all, each and every one of us must one day appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I know what some of you are saying. Some of you are saying, oh, time out. You're telling me that the reason I live my life to please God is because I'm going to stand before him one day? Absolutely. You say, well, I thought love was to motivate me. I want you to hear me. I want you to understand that love and judgment go hand in hand. You don't separate those two things with God. God is always loving and God is always just. When I was growing up, I knew my father loved me. And yet, I was afraid of my father. Because I knew if I stepped out of line, I would be judged. And you say, well, my dad didn't judge me. Oh, I bet he did. I hope he did. I mean, my dad judged me in a variety of ways. Sometimes it was with his belt. Sometimes it was with something else. Sometimes it was by putting me on restriction. But he judged me. When I got out of line, he judged me because he loved me. And for me as a son, his judgment of me Never caused me to doubt his love for me. The two went hand in hand. A loving father will discipline, will judge their children. And a child understands that from a loving father. And so understand, we make it our aim in life to please God because we love him and we know one day we're going to stand before him and we're going to give an account of how we lived our life. The Apostle Paul says the same thing to the church in Rome. So he didn't just say it to the Corinthians, he said it to the Romans. In Romans 14, he says, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, so that everyone shall give an account of himself to God, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You will, you will, we all will. I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the Greek word for that phrase, judgment seat, is the Greek word bema. It can be translated throne or, or platform, a tribunal. It was a place of authority, a place where officials would sit down and declare their judgments. But in Paul's day... It was also the place to describe where the judges sat at athletic games. The judge would sit on the bema, and the athletes would come before the bema, and the judge would declare who the winners of the athletic contest were. Several years ago, we took a group on a mission trip to Greece, and, and after the mission trip, those who wanted to, stayed a few days to take a tour of Greece. And one of the places we went was Corinth. 
And Corinth was the location of the Ithmian Games in, in ancient Greece. The Ithmian Games rivaled the Olympics. They took place every two years. The, the Olympics took place in, in Athens every four years. And we were able to see the ruins of the Bema Seat where the judges would sit and render their judgment on who won the prize. And it was this judgment seat that the Apostle Paul had in mind when he said, let us run the race to win the eternal prize. So what will this judgment seat, this Bema seat, be like? Well, I believe the best description is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So turn over there and listen to what it says in verses 11 through 15. It says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Now it's clear that Paul is talking about believers here. He said, no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. He's talking to those who have laid the foundation of Jesus Christ. They have a relationship with Jesus. They have trusted Jesus. Jesus is their Savior and Lord. He is the cornerstone of their life. But then Paul says, once we lay the foundation, and there's only one foundation, that's Jesus, we can build our life however we choose. You see, we choose the materials that we're going to build our life upon the foundation, which is Jesus. Said some people use gold and silver and jewels. Other people use wood and, and, and straw and, and things like that. And then he says the fire will reveal what you use to build your house. In other words, each and every one of us, we have the privilege of determining the material upon which we build our home. Some of us cut corners. We don't give it our all. Have you ever had any work done on your house? Or have you ever built a house? I mean, we've done both. And sometimes, you know, when you're building a house, you're having work done on your house, you get bids. And you hopefully get multiple bids. And you, you, oftentimes, you choose the lowest bid. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's not good. Sometimes the lowest bid is the lowest bid because the person is cutting corners. They're not using quality materials or they're not doing the work that needs to be done. And the problem is if someone's cutting corners when they're building, I mean, they can cut corners in such a way that when they build, you don't know it until years later when the problems come. And you realize they didn't use the materials they needed to use or they didn't do the work they needed to do and the house begins to fall apart. And that's what Paul is saying here. 
He's saying that each of us build on the foundation of Jesus, but we build with whatever materials we choose. And then he says, and the fire will reveal what material we choose. Now, what is this fire? Is it the fires of hell? Absolutely not. We as believers won't go to hell. So what is this fire? Well, the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. In Revelation chapter 1, when John had this vision of the glorified Jesus, he said his eyes were like burning, blazing fire. Our Lord's eyes will see everything at the judgment. And the Bible says that anything that is not of value will be burned up at the judgment. But only the things that are worth it or of value will remain. And so what can we learn from this passage on the judgment seat of Christ? Four things quickly. First of all, the judgment seat will be a time of revelation. On that day, our lives will be revealed for what they really are. Notice what he said in verse 13. The fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. Now the word, the Greek word for reveal there is the Greek word apocalypto, which is the same word that we get the word revelation from, the title of the book that we're studying, the unveiling, the, the revealing. One day, the Bible says that Jesus is going to reveal everything about our lives. The all-knowing eyes of Jesus will reveal everything about you and everything about me. Jesus said this. He said, there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. There is nothing kept secret that will not come to light. The author of Hebrews said, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. There is coming a day. When Jesus will reveal everything about how you have lived from the moment of your salvation to the moment he calls you home. And to be honest with you, that should be a little scary to you. I mean, if you are honest with yourself as you observe your life, it should be scary that one day everything about you is going to be revealed. Everything you did, everything you said, everything you bought, everything you gave, everything you had, every thought that you had, even the motivations behind what you did, all of that is going to be revealed. Jesus is going to sit down with you and he's going to review your game day tapes. And it's going to show what kind of life you've lived. Now, now some of you are probably asking, what about my sins? What about the sins that I've committed? What about those sins I committed before I was a Christian? What about those sins I've confessed? Well, I believe the Bible is clear that our sins, Jesus has taken them as far as the east is from the west. He's covered them and he will remember them no more. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of unrighteousness. And so our sins were judged at the cross. Now, is that an excuse for sin? Absolutely not. Because believers are those who want to be free from the power of sin and death. That's why we give our life to Jesus. And yet, in this life, we sin. In this life, 
we have a battle with an old nature and there are times that we give into this old nature and that's why God has told us when we confess our sin he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us of our sins he will cleanse us from all our unrighteousness but what you need to understand about your sin is this when you do sin it affects your life in a lot of ways it affects your witness it affects your testimony it affects a lot of other things. So it's not just a matter of your sins being forgiven. The sins you can commit can affect you in a lot of ways. There are, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, it's, it's, it's kind of like when you throw a, a rock into the water and that rock hits the water and then it creates these circles all around it. When we sin, it's not just a matter of that sin it's a matter of all the other things that our sin causes. But one day we're going to give an account of our life. How we've used it. The gifts that he's given us. The opportunities that he's given us. So let's just take a moment and let's reflect. How are you using your gifts, your abilities, your opportunities? Are you using them for his glory? Or are you squandering them on the pleasures of this world? What about your treasures? Are you using your treasures, the resources that God puts in your hand to build your own kingdom? Or are you using them to build the kingdom of God? Do the choices you're making make it look like this world is your permanent home? Or do the choices you're making make it seem like this world is not your home? Are you living your life in such a way that you want to be spotless, unblemished from the world? Or are you living your life in a way that when you stand before Jesus, you're going to be stained by this world? Don't be deceived. One day you're going to stand before Jesus and, and the blazing eyes of Jesus are going to reveal everything about you. That's the first thing. The second thing, the judgment seat will be a time of reward. Notice what Paul says in verse 14. He says... If the work survives the fire, that the builder will receive a reward. Now, we don't like that in our everyone receives a trophy world, do we? I mean, we, we, we like it, you know, where everybody gets the trophy, everybody's a winner. But that's not what the Bible says. You need to understand that. You see, Jesus is not going to say, well done, good and faithful servant to everyone. He's not going to say that to everyone who makes it into heaven. At the end of Revelation where Jesus has given us his final words before the book is over. This is what Jesus said. He said, look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. So when Jesus comes, he's bringing his rewards to give to those who have lived their life in a way that is worthy of the rewards. Now, what are these rewards? Well, some of it is service. You see, we are going to be given responsibilities in eternity. The Bible speaks about a new heaven and a new earth. We're not going to just sit around the throne all day singing worship songs. We're going to be doing things. And the things that we do, in part, will be determined by how faithful we are here on this earth. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a little, so now I will make you faithful over much. But the Bible also speaks of crowns. 
Remember in Revelation chapter 4, we see these elders wearing crowns. Where did these crowns come from? Well, the New Testament talks about crowns. And if you study it, you discover that there are at least five crowns that will be given to believers. The Bible speaks about a victor's crown. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The Apostle Paul was talking about spiritual discipline here. And he's saying that I am going to be disciplined in my life so that when I come to the end of my life, I'm not going to lose the crown, the prize, because of the way that I lived. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. So there's the victor's crown to those who are victorious in this life, who have disciplined themselves with spiritual disciplines seeking to live for the Lord. And then there's the soul winner's crown. We read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul says, after all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns? It is you. The Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Thessalonica, those that he won to Jesus, those that he shared the gospel with. And he said, one day, you will be the crown upon my head. You see, when we share the gospel and people respond to the gospel, we are receiving a soul winner's crown. This is vital, not so that we will receive crowns, but it's vital because this tells us what is important to God. Next, we see a crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So the crown of righteousness is a crown given to those who are looking forward to the Lord's return and are remaining faithful based upon the reality that his coming is imminent. He could return at any time. And then there's the crown of life. James 1:12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This crown is given to those who endure trials and tribulations, even death, and yet they remain faithful. And then finally, there's the crown of glory that it speaks of in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and, and a witness to the suffering of Christ, and I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you're eager to suffer God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. This seems to be a crown that is given to Christian leaders who faithfully take care of the flock that God has entrusted to their care. 
in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says that elders, spiritual leaders, will give an accounting to God. I don't know if these are all the crowns. I doubt they are. I imagine there are others. There are plenty more. But what this tells us is that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and our life is revealed, rewards will be given to those who are worthy, those who have used the gifts and the abilities, the opportunities that God has given him for his glory and his honor. But understand the judgment seat will also be a time of regret. Notice what it says in verse 15. The builder will suffer great loss, but he will be saved. You see, some will use gold and silver and jewels that will withstand the fire. Those who have built their life with wood and hay and straw, it will burn up. And their life will, will be gone. It amounts to nothing. But they will be saved, yet so is by fire. Now let me remind you, this judgment isn't a matter of salvation. It's about reward. And Jesus said there's some that's not going to get a reward. Now some of you may be sitting here and say, I don't care. Just give me that little shack on the back of heaven and I'll be happy. Oh, no, you won't. Hear me. You won't. You won't. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, Children, stay one in your hearts with Christ. Then when he returns, we will have confidence and won't have to hide in shame. You see, some of us, when Jesus comes back, we're going to be ashamed. We're going to be ashamed. I want you to think for a moment about standing before your Savior. The one who gave his all for you. The one who shed his blood so that you could be forgiven. And you're sitting there looking at that face of love. And you look down and see the holes in his hands. And you realize that he gave his all. And you didn't. You're not going to be saying, praise God, I just made it in. No, you're going to regret that you didn't give your all in service to him. Oh, you're going to make it to heaven. You're going to be with him for all eternity. But at the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be ashamed. It's going to be a time of regret. You don't want that. You want to hear those words, well done. Good and faithful servant. But then finally, the judgment seat will be a time of return. I want you to go back to Revelation chapter 4. Notice what it says. The elders lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You see, the problem that some of us have is we have this idea that if in heaven that some get rewards and some don't, then there's going to be this caste system and there's going to be the haves and the haves-nots. And, and the have and the have-nots are based upon pride. And in heaven, there's not going to be any pride. The pride's going to be left behind. And the Bible says that those who receive rewards, those who receive crowns, uh, they're not going to be walking around heaven flaunting their crowns going, look at my crown. My crown's bigger than your crown. Where's your crown? You don't have a crown? That's not how it's going to be. No, those that 
receive crowns. They're going to go to the throne. And they're going to lay their crowns at the foot of the throne. Because they realize that nothing that they have done is of themselves. It's all because of Him. His gifts. His abilities. His opportunities that He gave us. We would be nothing. We would have nothing apart from Him. We lay our crowns at the foot of the throne. And we say, you are worthy. You alone are worthy to receive all the glory, all the honor, all the power. You, you see, at the judgment seat, our life will be revealed and we will receive rewards or we will experience regret. But it doesn't cause pride. It causes us to fall in love with him even more. Just as we have on earth, it causes us to take these crowns that he has given to us. We lay them down at his feet because he alone is worthy. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, if you're a child of God, there's only one thing that's important in life. That's to live your life in such a way that when he returns and you stand before him, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all that's important. You see, all too many of us are, are investing our lives and investing our treasures in a life that is temporary. When we should be investing our life in the eternal. I heard a story about a man who died and went to heaven. And St. Peter was taking him to his place where he would live. And it was one of those shacks. It's just a little old tiny shack. And the man said, why the shack? Why is this all I get? And Peter said, well... It's because we only use the material that you send in advance. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6? He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them, rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. What are you investing in? This life or the next? There are some of us here who have a lot of gifts. Some of us have a few gifts. There are some of us that God gives a lot of opportunities. There are some of us that God gives less opportunities. There are some of us that God gives a lot of treasures. There are others that God, God gives very few treasures. But you're going to be accountable for how you use the gifts, the opportunities, the treasures that he puts into your hands. And how you use those things will determine the rewards that you're able to lay at the feet of Jesus in heaven. But how are you living your life?
Are you living it so that you can hear, well done, good and faithful servant? If you're a child of God, that's how you should be living. But if you're not a Christian, <laughs> you're not going to face this judgment. But the bad news is, you're going to face another judgment. It's the great white throne judgment. And on that day, the Bible says the books will be open and your life will be judged and it will determine whether your life is good enough to get to heaven. And can I tell you, the Bible says no one is good enough, no one is righteous, not even one. But on that day, if you haven't trusted Jesus, you're going to be judged based upon your goodness to determine whether you can go to heaven and you're not good enough and you're going to go to hell because you rejected the Son of God, Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you because you're not good enough and never will be. And so if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, I beg you, I plead with you, Humble yourself. Give your life to Jesus today before it's too late. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, if you're here and you've not given your life to Jesus and today you're ready to do that, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me right now. Dear Lord, I humbly come to you today Admitting that I'm a sinner. I've lived life my way. Forgive me. I don't want to anymore. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. So that I could be forgiven. So that I could have victory over sin and death. Today I'm trusting you to save me. Today I'm giving my life to you. Fill me with your spirit. Take control. From this day forward, for however many days I have left, I'm going to live for you, Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen.